Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. And now, join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Why were there wild animals with Jesus uh, during his time of temptation in the wilderness? That's the question that we will at least try to answer on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, brand manager for the HCSB, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Trevin Wax, managing editor of The Gospel Project. Um, so we're going to discuss this kind of puzzling remark uh, that we find in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, basically just talking about Jesus being with wild animals in the wilderness when he's out there. So, First time I noticed this was when I uh, decided I was going to teach through the entire Gospel of Mark over about a nine-month period in a group I was leading at a church I was serving at. And um, this one surprised me because I had not done a whole lot of research on this. And uh, it's interesting because w- when you have this, you've got three Gospels that make mention of Jesus's time of testing in the wilderness, his time of temptation. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke all telling us something about the temptation scene. Mark gives us the shortest account of the temptation, but he throws in this tantalizing detail that Matthew and Luke decide not to include in their accounts. So um, I guess the first question that we need to discuss then is whether or not Mark was written first. Is that what we're, what we're doing here why, today? Why do you say that? A little Mark in priority conversation? Oh, because I said Matthew and Luke decided yeah, not yeah. to include that. T- okay, well, I'm, I, okay, I'll own that. I do think that's the case. I think Mark came first. Then it's probably Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John is the order that the Gospels were written in. But um, I, I don't know that that necessarily affects the the passage we're going to be discussing today. No, no, so. I'm just kidding, but I thought you were trying to slip it in there underneath. So <laughs> No, I, okay, but well, I am curious. Where are you on that? So do you agree with most modern scholars that Mark is probably <laughs> the first gospel or with the church fathers that Matthew is the gospel that comes first? Um, I think they're all wrong. The Brandon view is what? the best view. Luke, John is first? Sure, yeah, John's first. No. Why not? Yeah, right, John also wrote Revelation before the gospel. You know there is an okay. actual... I know scholarly case that John was written in the sixties and then revised in the nineties. I I will say, I will admit that I am more hesitant than many on Mark and priority. (sighs) Really? I think, I think we undervalue uh, oral tradition. So anyway, but that's not, wait, 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 just one second. Oral tradition. What do you explain that for our listeners and for me? Cause I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that Matthew and Luke could have gotten many of the same stories without having to rely on Mark to do so because of the oral gospel tradition. I agree with that. I'm just saying it's possible. I'm not, I'm not, Totally disagreeing with that, but so, so you think Mark came after though and tried to like it's abridge po- possible. Matthew because yeah. that's what that's what I think I think it was Augustine some thought. Yeah, I mean I'm with Augustine all the time on everything. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Um. Yeah. I just I think it's possible. I think we we've uh, assumed too much about about uh, Mark being written first. But anyway, okay. well I am glad you are with the church fathers on that. Yeah. If that's the case, you are. They're definitely better company than most of the modern scholars. But I'm fairly convinced, and I could give you textual reasons, but we're not going to do that in this podcast. That Mark preceded Matthew, but uh, we are regressing now. Yeah, see, and that doesn't fit our podcast. We got to talk about a verse. I I know. So otherwise, we could totally do this again sometime. So anyway, uh, but I started it. So let's move into the actual episode that we decided to talk about. Okay. So how do you read the text from the Gospel of Mark uh, about the wild animals? Go ahead and read it for us, and we'll we'll discuss. Yeah. So I'll read uh, Mark uh, one verses twelve to thirteen from the HCSB. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty years, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels began to serve him. 
So it's funny. Just he's with the wild animals. No big deal. Just throw the wild animals. And in the there, angels right? began to serve him. Yeah, look at that. Uh, That's so, a big deal. So the question here is, the, it's the wild animals, right? So, so what does this refer to? Um, you know, Mark doesn't give a full account. I mean, it, it's not this really long, extended, you know, couple of paragraph thing. It's really just a couple of verses. And then on top of that, he throws this detail in there. So, what do you think? Well, I mean, the first case I, I want to say, well, he puts this in here because it really happened. Okay, Jesus was in the wilderness. There were wild animals there. I, I think the reason we're asking the question is Matthew and Luke don't include the detail. Mark doesn't really explain why he's got it in here. He's just sort of, it's just there as a fact. So the question is, why, when he paints this scene of the temptation, which is much shorter, doesn't have any of the dialogue with Jesus and Satan, right. why does he include this extra detail? Um, for most of us, I think the idea of the angels serving Jesus is not difficult to understand. There's some other times in the gospel writers will talk about angels ministering to Jesus. But but what did it mean for Jesus to be with the animals? That's that's the question. Yeah, I'll just put my cards out there and say I don't think he meant anything by it. I think he just put it in there. Like he was just saying it was dangerous, you're in the wilderness, there's wild animals there. No, I mean not even that. Just he just didn't even care. He okay. just he he saw a painting of Jesus with animals and that was it. Okay, he is just it, put it in there. Uh, <laughs> is it too late to get another Co host for this podcast or okay. Okay, so so yeah, if you if you look at the context, and I'm just kidding, I'll 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 try to have a little bit more of an opinion later. But um so to back up and just give some context in this verse, I mean the whole point of Jesus being in the wilderness, or at least a very a common view of why he was there, um, obviously is the trial of forty days, showing him fulfilling the role of of Israel, recapitulating Israel's story, uh, where they were in the wilderness for forty years. So yeah, and the 40-day the motif shows up a lot. So, I mean, you've got Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, and, of course, they're tempted to grumble over the food. Mm -hmm. They fail at that. Um, Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Elijah uh, was on Mount Horeb for that amount of time. So, anyway, you've got this idea of testing or trial, and it seems to always happen in the wilderness, and this the 40, the number 40 tends to be important, too, in yeah. the Old Testament. Okay, so let's look at um, a couple of interpretations. We've already teased out a couple um, on the mark and priority, but let's look at some of the ones that actually deal with this passage. So uh, the first interpretation uh, we definitely need to talk about um, would be kind of the church the church father's commentary on, on the Gospel of Mark. Um, so Irenaeus, I think, was was the one who, who had this interpretation. But, but basically, Jesus is seen as the second Adam, and he's just like Adam, you know, in the garden with animals. Um, and so Jesus is with these wild animals. He's in the wilderness. He's foreshadowing the time where um, hostile creation will become peaceable kingdom. So, you know, the lion and the lamb lying down together. Um, and so the idea is that the wild beasts are at peace with Jesus as Lord. Uh, the beasts and the angels together are with Jesus in the wilderness where, you know, after he's victorious over temptation, um, you see a little bit of new creation spilled in. So you see kind of what Revelation talks about with, with the peace in, in the kingdom of God. So. Okay, so first interpretation, some of the church fathers go with that. It's not monolithic right? that modern scholars all are on one side and church fathers are all on the other. They're, you can find it never, a mix of yeah, both. It never is that way. It isn't. So just yeah. if you're going to look them all up, yes, we know they're not. It, but that's, just, that's one of the older interpretations. Another interpretation takes the opposite perspective. Um, there, because the verse that precedes this one about the wild animals talks about Satan, some commentators might even say the majority of modern scholars say, the wild animals are intended to picture the evil fallen world that we live in. And then the fact that angels serve Jesus in the wilderness, well, that seems kind of redundant if the desert has become this little mini paradise that you just described <laughs> after Jesus's temptation. Okay. So the wild animals are dangerous. That's why they're called wild. They're not mm. uh, docile. They're in the scene to show you sort of the horror of this untamed fallen world that Jesus was living in. That's the second interpretation. 
Yeah. So, and, and then the third one kind of builds on what you just mentioned, Trevor, and it's that Mark uh, included this reference because his Roman readers, obviously Mark was kind of the gospel to the Romans or whatever you want to say. Um, his Roman readers knew of Christians being thrown to the animals in the Colosseum. So think about Nero, the emperor, he was savage toward Christians, right? He has this, this long reputation of that. And so one account says Christians were covered with the hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. So maybe this was Mark's way of emphasizing um, basically that, that, that Christians are being thrown to wild animals. And so Jesus faced the wilderness and the horror as well. Um, just as angels minister to Jesus, the angels will be there to help us endure. So. Okay, so basically for that example is the wild animals stay wild in the, in the um, wilderness. And Mark includes that because Christians were facing this sort of horror in their own persecution stage. So out of those three options, I'm genuinely curious now which one Brandon Smith is going to go with. Yeah. Let um, me know. Which the, one? Yeah, the world is going to change right now. I'm going to so. debate you if I I don't agree with you. You're, so go. Yeah. We'll see. So um, so I think I think the third interpretation, um, just of Mark trying to point toward um, the Colosseum. I just I don't feel like there's any warrant for that. I mean, if it's the case, we but don't the, really there have. There wasn't a Colosseum. I mean, there was a Colosseum, and there were people being torn apart by animals. So, okay, you win. I'm done. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I'm not saying that's my no, view. No, but I'm I, just, but I'm I don't. Just... I don't think that is. I don't think that is the point. I think there's much more going on. I think. Um, obviously the recapitulation of Israel's story, I think is obviously part of it. I think that is, um, like you said, the 40 days, the 40 years, the 40 is definitely something across the biblical narrative. You see that time and time again. Uh, but actually I think if I'm going to take a, a really strong stance on this, which I am, um, is, is going to be the first interpretation with the church fathers. Um, because I, I, I think when I look at uh, Jesus's temptation, um, especially in the Matthew account, actually, but, but the Markin account, um, is fine with this too, is you got this idea of Satan tempting Jesus, um, basically to disobey God, to make himself king, uh, to rely on himself and not God for, for food and all these kind of things. And I think that's really a picture of what you see in the Garden of Eden. You see Satan coming in and saying, well, basically saying, don't you want to be king? You don't need to listen to God. Did God really say this? And so I think when Jesus goes into the wilderness, I, I read it as primarily it's Jesus being the second Adam going in and saying to Satan what Adam and Eve should have said which is that God is Lord and he's all I need and, and your temptation is not better than that. Um, and so that's the way I lean with this. So the wild animals to me then, um, I think Mark is great for actually putting it in there because with Matthew, you don't see this, but with Mark, um, with, with all of biblical narrative together, you see this, um, that actually, you know, you see these animals around him. And so in a way, I think it is true that he's picturing this new creation of these animals becoming tame. Uh, just like in the garden, Adam was, was called, he named all the animals. He was steward and Lord over them. And so in the same way, you see Jesus out here with these wild animals not getting torn apart. And so you see this picture of him, him being everything that Adam was supposed to be. So. I, that's, a, a, that's a good interpretation. Um, and let, let me just, before I say what I think, I, let, can, we need to make clear, I think we, both of us would agree with this, um, as strong an opinion as you have on this. You would not say that the other interpretations are like false doctrine or right, like no, yeah. heretical or something like that. So mm -hmm. we would all say they're sound good interpretive decisions. They're not all right, of course. And we've got to, I guess we'll have to wait until we meet Mark face to face to yeah. know for sure uh, what he intended. But these are legitimate interpretations. Any of them could be true of the passage. Yeah. So uh, my, my view on this, for what it's worth, I've actually switched on this one. The first time I taught the passage, um, I taught the wild animals, the, the second the second idea that the wild animals heighten the sense of drama mm -hmm. and kind of a little bit of the third that was there to encourage the early believers. Uh, the second time I came across this passage to teach it though, I switched and I I'm, I'm going with your view that, uh, Come Jesus, on, man. 
is uh, recapitulating the story of Israel and the story of Adam, because I do think you've got a pretty nice parallel there. The first Adam in the garden naming the beast, then he fails when tempted. Jesus is the second Adam, and he triumphs, where both Israel and Adam failed, and then Jesus is the second Adam, is with the beasts. And then he's in the wilderness, and the angels there are not redundant. It's like a foretaste of the world's restoration. That's what we're seeing there. Um, that's what I think the intent is. But let, let me just say I put it like this. Um, I was 60-40 for options two and three mm -hmm. before, and now I'm about 60, 40 for option one. Okay, so, so that's where we can disagree. Cause I'm about 80, 20 on my view. Okay. So, so you're, you hold that position. Maybe 90, 10, so yeah. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not holding this position re really dogmatically, but I do think that's more, it's more likely that that's what Mark was doing than the other options. Yeah. So I, yeah. I wouldn't say I hold it dogmatically, but I'd say I'm, I'm close. Of course. Cause you just, that sounded dogmatic. bad, right? To yeah. Say that. Yeah. That's fine. I was um, trying to make you look bad. So yeah, well, it didn't work. <laughs> Um, so, and, uh, so, okay. So we always say in preaching and teaching, when you're trying to share this with somebody, whether it's a congregation, it's a small group, maybe it's even with your kids when you're, when you're sitting around the table, talking to them about this, um, how do you preach and teach this? What, what would you say? You've done it before. So what would you say? Well, I, we got to be careful here because the temptation, whenever you're preaching on temptation, <laughs> no pun intended, right? Um, that was bad. It, it's to, really it's bad to look for ways to overcome temptation. So basically you put Jesus out here as the example Fast a lot, memorize scripture, and you'll be fine. That's mm -hmm. what happened. That's what Jesus did, right? Well, that's not all that's going on here. And the reason I like the the interpret whichever interpretation you go with, the main point is Jesus succeeds where Adam failed, where Israel failed, and where you fail, where your people fail, mm -hmm. right? So preach in a way that empowers your people to overcome temptation with the power of the Spirit, but also help them know what to do when they do succumb to temptation. You know, mm -hmm. where do they go when they fall? Those are the kinds of of things that think are really important whenever you're preaching on the, on the temptation of Jesus. Yeah, I th I, I've written uh, an article on the Matthew version of this a while back on Blue Letter Bible, not making a plug for that, but just kind of the way I went with it. And I think Mark fits in just fine with this same type of ideas. As I'm teaching this saying, you know, Jesus is becoming the second Adam. When he defeats Satan, you basically see Satan slither away and, you know, like a, like he just got his, his got, got whipped. And, um, you see him kind of sliver away. You see that Jesus stands as Lord at the end of this um, when he defies um, Satan's temptation. So I think what you actually see is um, Jesus giving the keys to creation, Jesus giving um, what mankind was supposed to be as God's, um, you know, his stewards and his image bearers, giving it back to us and saying, this is what it's like to be a human. This is what should have happened in the garden. And this isn't what happened in the garden. But now Jesus has come to say, I am, I am taking that back. And this is now, you know, my world, not that it was never his world, but it's this very clear picture of, you know, we are in control of this world the way Adam and Eve were supposed to be. Um, and then also when you, later when you see Jesus um, pray, you know, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you see Jesus actually doing things like this, showing earth back on heaven, what the new creation is going to look like. What at the end of Revelation, when you, when you see God dwelling with his people, you, you don't see Satan anymore. Satan's gone. Darkness is gone. Chaos is gone. And what you see is God and man standing together in perfect unison the way they were supposed to be. So I'm always I'm always tending towards saying this is what Jesus did. He he put you as a new creation to live out new creation right now so that you can see you're not bound by Satan. Jesus has, has, has cleared you from that. He's freed you from that. And you can go and live an empowered life for him. So It's great. All right. Well, that's all we have for this one. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. Thank you, Trevin, as always. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters is presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's readers. Find out more at hcsb.org.